Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I'm so excited about our topic today, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. It's actually the first of a series, probably eight or nine parts, that's based on the book and the course, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, or the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. And what's interesting is I've done podcasts on uh, two other books, Emotionally Healthy Leader and Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and they've been actually among our most popular podcasts downloaded in our history. But I've never done Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and yet it's the core book uh, of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, which is done in churches all around the world. And the reason we're doing it, uh, finally, is that it's just this month that we've released uh, new videos uh, based on the book uh, for the course that's done in churches and an expanded edition of the EHS workbook that goes along with it. That's actually the fruit of five to six years of work of editing uh, the workbook. So in fact, just if you'd like to check out a preview uh, of session one of the workbook and a free session video, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. And my plan over the next few weeks is to do a series on each of the chapters uh, of the book and actually to supplement your reading and the, and the doing of the course. Now, I wrote the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, a number of years ago to introduce the core missing pieces of discipleship in the global church in the 21st century that would provide a theological foundation so that you can position yourself and others in our churches to be deeply changed by Jesus for the sake of the world. Uh, and again, the key word is introduction. As like as I often quote, my good friend Jay uh, said to me many years ago, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over again. And so there are actually eight sessions uh, to the book and the workbook as well and the course it begins with the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, which is this week. And then it goes into know yourself that you may know God. Uh, going back to go forward, journey through the wall, enlarging your soul through grief and loss, discovering the rhythms of the daily office and Sabbath, growing into an emotionally mature adult, and going the next step to develop a rule of life. And if we hope to multiply deeply transformed leaders and disciples, these theological realities need to become the fabric of our experience uh, in our lives, as well as the ministries of and the lives of those we lead. So a bit of my story here as I launch into this. I mean, Jerry and I planted our church uh, in New York City, uh, New Life Fellowship in 1987, and began to plant other churches out of that, and we're growing. And we were, we were apparently successful by the numerical standards at that time, but we were exhausted, gaining the world, losing our soul. Uh, we were in regular crises. Uh, people were coming to Jesus, but because of the shallow discipleship model that we were engaged in, uh, we just were recycling a lot of the same old problems. And we had a lot of folks who were following Jesus, but still were uh, lousy human beings to be around. Uh, very confusing. And then, uh, again, not just recycling the same old problems. Uh, our own marriage was not going well. Uh, and then it led to Jerry quitting the church 
uh, and something was seriously wrong with the way I was following Jesus myself and the way I was leading for Jesus. I mean, of course, on one level, I had a very wrong view of success, bigger, better, up to the right. It was much more Western uh, than it was biblical. And then I had a lot of scripts from uh, the church culture about what a good pastor or leader is supposed to be like. And, you know, I, I would hear things even just occasionally in passing in talks, but actually I saw it lived out by leaders in the generation before me or leaders that were touted as the models, things like, you know, if you slow down, Jesus' work just won't get done. And you can rest when you get to heaven. It's better to burn out than to rust out. And this just fed into my family of origin unresolved issues, my unawareness, my low differentiation. Uh, I did not have a very well-developed sense of self, so I easily just joined in with what other people thought I should be as a leader and a pastor and a Christian. <clears throat> and so there were large missing pieces in my own discipleship, my own formation, <clears throat> and of course, my own leadership. Uh, and I could just summarize it by saying I was severely emotionally underdeveloped. Uh, but again, a, a graduate of the best theological seminaries in the world and a good attender to all the leadership conferences that were offered at that time for pastors and leaders. And so the yoke of Jesus felt very heavy, <clears throat> very hard. Uh, and I wondered, how was this going all going to end? This is year six or seven. And then really 26 years ago to the day, God met Jerry and I in, in an extraordinary way, uh, Many of you have heard our story, and uh, and that first of all, that emotional health and spiritual maturity can't be separated. That uh, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That was the first big uh, thesis, and the second was that uh, we've got to slow down. A slow down spirituality is key. Being before you do, uh, and drawing on the riches of the monastic tradition going back two thousand years of stillness and silence and solitude, that those two big pieces were key. And so we began to walk this out, again, 1996, 26 years ago. And uh, <clears throat> and we were actually well on our journey for a number of years and quite immersed in it and had seen enormous fruit. And then I wrote the first draft of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality at that point. Uh, and I remember that uh, the editor, who was actually considered one of the best editors in the in the publishing world, Christian publishing world, he had great wisdom. And he came to visit us in New York City in our church, and he actually came to our home. And he, and he saw for himself uh, the fruit, the the power that was unleashed uh, through emotionally healthy spirituality. But he sat down in my living room, and, and understand, I'd, I'd spent a couple of years writing this book, and he said, you know what's missing here is, is and if you don't answer this question, the whole book falters. And he goes, the question is this, what does an emotionally unhealthy spirituality look like? I mean, exactly what does it look like? And uh, you've gone into this radical path uh, of living something very unique out, but everything rises and falls on the answer to that question. And so probably spent another year on that question of what does an emotionally healthy, unhealthy spirituality look like? And so uh, we came up with 10 symptoms uh, 10 top symptoms. And I'll just mention a few of them to you here as we launch into this and uh, uh, of an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And so the first was we use God to run from God. In other words, I uh, out of unawareness, I end up, for example, I keep myself busy in church activities or in leadership to avoid pain and the tension I'm experiencing perhaps in close relationships or even within myself. 
The second is I ignore the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Uh, I had a pastor say to me uh, recently, uh, I'm not gifted at feeling. And he was sharing how uncomfortable he was with the whole course of emotionally healthy spirituality. Uh, and you know, his family didn't do feelings. He doesn't do feelings, doesn't go down that road. He just said, I'm not gifted at feelings. And this is a fellow who's been theologically trained and leading a large church. And I, I, I said to him, I said, this is not about giftedness. This is about theology. Uh, and then pointed him to the fact that we have two-thirds of the Psalms are laments, and we have a whole book called Lamentations, and Jesus felt and God feels, and uh, you'll stop feeling when you're dead. But uh, it's a great discussion. And, and uh, anyway, second top symptom. The third top symptom is we die to the wrong things. And uh, in other words, I dying to the right things is things like sin and, and self-protectedness and hypocrisy and judgmentalism. But we don't die to to things that God never asked us to die to, things like joy and music and beauty and love and friendships uh, and laughter and nature, etc. Uh, the fourth symptom, top symptom, is we deny the past's impact on the present. Uh, very few, most people don't consider how their family of origin or significant events have impacted or shaped their present. Fifthly, we divide life into secular and sacred compartments. In other words, I easily uh, prioritize or have a hierarchy that things like church and prayer and worship and reading the Bible, those are holy activities, but things like recreation and sexuality and working in the marketplace, uh, these are not as holy. And so we've got this division, this compartmentalized spirituality. Uh, sixth is we do for God instead of being with God. And uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Large issue, too busy for that. Uh, seventh is we spiritual spiritualize away conflict. Uh, and so we don't have really true kingdom peace, but we smooth over disagreements. We sweep things under the rug. We bury tensions and conflicts. Uh, the eighth is we cover over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Uh, in other words, we don't talk about our vulnerabilities and our mistakes. Uh, we avoid them. The ninth is we live without limits. Uh, we try to do it all. We bite off more than I can chew, and we miss so much of the beauty of God that comes through limits. And more importantly, we end up doing things that God never asked us to do uh, and end up in the wrong places at the wrong time, making some poor decisions. And then finally, we judge the spiritual journeys of others. Uh, we just find ourselves preoccupied with the faults of others. Why aren't they getting it? Like, quote, we got it. And so over the years, as we uh, began to get get into this and teach it in the course, the 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, we realized that this really, all of these contribute to the development of a false self, uh, a pretend self, to, that we pretend to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside. And in some ways, uh, emotionally healthy uh, spirituality is you know, it's called emotional health, but actually it could all be called integrity, that we're the same person outside that we are on the inside. And so the study in session one is comes out of 1 Samuel 15 and the story of Saul, who is the leader of God's people uh, in Israel at the time, but he is gifted, he's anointed, he's doing many things for God. Uh, but he's living a pretend self. He's finding his worth and his love in his, quote, uh, worldly success in getting approval from people. Uh, but he's not true to himself. And he lets the world set the agenda for his self-understanding. 
and so a false self or a pretend self is just so common. It comes out of a shallow spirituality. Um, and uh, Saul is the classic on that. And so we spent a number of years, how, how do we get at this? How, how do we begin to dismantle it? Uh, how do we even understand it? Now, it comes out of deep internal family messages that you received and I received, as well as ex- and faulty messages, then external messages coming out of the culture. We all have out of our families millions and millions of miles of film uh, going back generations uh, of really false messages about who we are. In other words, you're lovable if you get excellent grades, if you're beautiful, or if, you're, if you get a great job, if you know, you're, you're cool and we present ourselves to be overconfident and we drop names and we dress to impress. Uh, but it also comes out of the culture uh, Susan Cain wrote an, uh, an excellent book a number of years ago called Quiet, uh, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. And she notes how in early United States history, uh, the and especially in the early 1900s, a dramatic shift took place that moved from a personality of character in the culture, which in other words, it honored things like integrity and discipline. Uh, and it moved to a culture of personality. Uh, so personality of character to a culture of personality. In other words, to be bold and extroverted uh, and it moved to being careful about how people perceived us. And everything changed. Who we admire, how we act at job interviews, what we look for in an employee, how we date, how we raise our children. Uh, and she quotes Warren Sussman, who's a cultural historian. He, he says, the social role he wrote, demanded of all in the new culture of personality was that of a performer. Every American was to become a performance self. Every American was to become a performance self. Well, it's obviously just not true in America. It's, it's global. It's Western culture. Uh, and now you think of social media and the uh, the subtle, technological, massive pressure uh, for all of us to be liked, to be noticed, uh, how we're coming off. Uh, it just contributes to this false self, this performance. And Colossians 3.9 says, you know, Paul writes, do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in Christ. Uh, and so Paul writes about this. Actually, there's a, there's a religious false self that's even more deadly because you've got a layer of your family of origin and the culture. Then we have a second layer, which is uh, religion, which is church. And no wonder people run from Christians because we have a double layer false self sometimes. It's deeply entrenched. It's very powerful. And unless the Holy Spirit penetrates to our depths, uh, we end up living lives that are not really very attractive nor Christ-like. I like Thomas Keating. Uh, Trappist monk who, uh, who discovered in the monastery how deeply entrenched the false self was. And, uh, and he writes about, it's so deeply entrenched, he writes, you can change your name and address, your religion, your country, and your clothes, but the false self simply adjusts to the new environment. For example, instead of drinking your friends under the table, he writes, as a significant sign of self-worth and esteem, If you enter a monastery, as I did, then fasting the other monks under the table becomes the new way I find my self-worth and esteem. 
And he writes, Jesus is not about simply external changes of lifestyle, but he is about conversion. And he quotes Jesus, if your foot scandalizes you, cut it off. And uh, fascinating, isn't it? Uh, And so as we talk about getting a handle on this deeply entrenched false self, um, we look at Saul uh, in that first study in the EH Spirituality Workbook. It's just fascinating. And so uh, I have a little study, a little, little few symptoms to think about of, of where are you on this continuum of pretending to be someone on the outside that you're not on the inside, uh, that is a false self. And and uh, here's some, you can grade yourself on a scale of one to five. Five is always true of me and one is never true of me. And just think about it for a second here. Uh I compare myself a lot to other people. Where are you on that scale? A lot, five, or never true, one, or in between, two, three, or four. I often say yes when I prefer to say no. Where are you on that spectrum? I often speak up to avoid the disapproval of others. How true is that of you? Or people close to me would describe me as defensive and easily offended. Or fifthly, I have a hard time laughing at my shortcomings and failures. Or I avoid looking weak or foolish in social situations. Or I'm not always the person I appear to be. Or I struggle with taking risks because I could fail or look foolish. Or my sense of self-worth and being comes from what I have, possessions, or what I do, accomplishments, or what other people think, how I get validation. And then finally, uh, another symptom of false self is I often act like a different person with, when in different situations and with different people. And so in some ways, the, the entire EH Spirituality course and, and, and the book, the, the, and actually the next seven podcasts is, is kind of get at how, what's the pathway for God to begin to dismantle those, that false self that is so deeply embedded in us and free us? Because you understand if we don't get free, um, how are we going to free other people? But the beautiful thing is this, if you'll allow God to free you and cut off those layers out of you. And while it is painful, it is liberating, um, you will inevitably create a safe environment around you and set everyone free around you. Uh, so it's wonderful. But one key, and, and we end this uh, uh, session with the focus on being before we do, that is a slow down spirituality, uh, as one critical uh, theme. Uh, if we're ever going to get free from the world and, again, our families of origin and cultures uh, from that false self, and, and that is a slowed-down spirituality. And and so what, when we talk about being before you do, in other words, a, practice, a person who practices being before doing uh, is operating from a place of fullness emotionally and spiritually, deeply aware of themselves, God, other people. And so we've got a being with God, a relationship with God that's sufficient to sustain our doing for God. Uh, Again, key is that we've slowed down enough that our being, uh, our inner life, our our, our being with Jesus, we've actually paced it enough that we're ensuring that he's filling our cup. And it's out of that full cup with him that we flow out to other people. Now, we are part of the history and the bones uh, of, in particular, the post-Reformation church, uh, and again, Western Christianity dominated by evangelicalism, which is uh, do something, I mean, get it done, uh, 
an, an overdoing of activity. You know, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bone. In the genogram of the church is your spirituality. You're, you're doing well spiritually if you're doing a lot. Uh, and so the whole Protestant Reformation uh, in the 1500s was about shutting down monasteries because they weren't doing anything. And that really impacted and formed uh, so much of church life, going back hundreds of years of how we view slowing down, silence, stillness, solitude. One pastor shared with me recently how he was tortured for years by the burden of numerical growth because he, the church really wasn't growing very much, uh, and he, this feeling of failure, uh, and he was working so hard, he was living a pace of life that was so unsustainable, and so he just he just I, he was longing to get out of pastoring anything but pastoring. He went and got another degree so he could get another job. Uh, anything he said to me but pastoring. But then finally, he realized what a horrific yoke that was, got some good biblical teaching. Uh, not that numbers are bad, of course, but that measuring success by numbers alone was just so unbiblical. And um, and he just got free from it. And he's now flourishing a, a number of years later, free from it. And, uh, and, and he got a good sense of just historically what's gone on. And he's been on this journey with us uh, for now a number of years. But even learning through church history this being and doing the models we have of slow down spirituality of people like Moses in the 40 years in the, in the desert, in the wilderness in Midian, and Elijah, uh, that desert prophet, John the Baptist, who spent his lifetime in, in the desert before he emerged and began to speak of Jesus. But deep uh, being of silence and solitude out of which their active ministry flowed. And of course, we have Jesus who often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Then even the 12 disciples, you know, in Acts 6, we see them being so careful not to get too active in serving the needs of widows um, in that crisis in the church, but they're making sure they had that space for the word of God and prayer. And, and even the 12, their, their calling was to be with Jesus first. And out of that, they would go in and preach and drive out demons. And we see that same theme in the early church and desert fathers and mothers, North African monastics. We see it in people like Bernard of Clairvaux and Aquinas. And you go down the list and through history of Eckhart, Norwich, we can just, I have a list, but there's so many models through our genogram as the church of people who, who had enormous impact for God, but had a deep, slow down spirituality of prayer and being with Jesus out of which their ministry flowed. I was just reading about Mother Teresa the other day, and again, her three hours of prayer, which she required of all the uh, nuns who were part of her order around the world, still requires it today, morning, midday, and evening of an hour uh, each time before the Lord, and then they go out and serve the poor and the dying. But this confronts us with uh, a theology of limits, uh, which is very anti-Western, that we're not God, God is. And um, because we talk about uh, slow down spirituality, it really does require the courage and the character to not seize every opportunity that comes your way, uh, even if it looks fantastic. But I'm listening to God, and I embrace the gift of God's limits that he places around me. And we're not God. He is God. And, and so God wants – I mean, the most important thing in life is, is relationship with God. God is love, and he loves you. He loves me. He's, uh, and he wants a relationship of loving union with you and me. And we are created 
primarily to be in a relationship with God, not simply use our gifts to get something done, but but to be in union and communion with God so that we actually work with God. Uh, in other words, he's so in, he's in us, right? That's the whole point of the gospel. He tells, eat my flesh and drink my blood and you and me and I and you, this whole thing of vine branches, such intimacy, such closeness, closeness that we're so intimate in some ways as we're operating um, that is it God, is it you is it, it's just we're, we're so in, you're, we're so intimate with him that one can't tell whether it's you or me operating in each moment it's god or is it me it's we're just we're, we're in loving union that's the kind of relationship we want to have because we've slowed down enough to live in that kind of firsthand relationship of loving union with our god so this slowing down your being before you do this slow down spirituality is much larger than a practice of, of silence and in fact the 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 first session of the you know, this uh, in the workbook of the problem of emotion and health, unhealthy spirituality, you draw up two circles of your being and your doing and see how, how balanced are those circles. Is your being with Jesus right now, that circle, the same size as your doing circle? In other words, that you're, you've got enough being with God to sustain what you're doing in life. Uh, and again, every one of us is different because we have different temperaments, personalities, callings, and I would never impose and we never should impose our way of following Jesus on anybody. Uh, but uh, the number one thing for each of our job descriptions in life, regardless of what y- your job is and your calling is, is is to mature as a follower of Jesus, doing for him out of being with him. And that's out of a, that's an entire lifestyle change. So what does that mean? That that can include again to to slow down can include things like okay, I I'm taking time, of course, to to pray, uh, to be silent and still before Him. And I I often recommend that to pastors and leaders that you 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 set aside a, as a regular practice twenty minutes of silence a day before Him, uh, to be with Him, be listening, to not be speaking, uh, to be enjoying communion with Him, but time to journal. Uh, time to take Sabbaths each week, a sub- and then a sabbatical every you know five, six, seven, six, seven years. That you that you seek out mentors uh, and opportunities to grow, spiritual directors, maybe therapists, wise men and women, a healthy community because we need that to uh, to be with Jesus. We need other people. Uh, maybe you take days alone with God once a month. Um, I had a day alone with God the other day. It was just fabulous. I mean. Maybe you go for further study, you're taking some courses or seminars, but you're setting time apart because you've got to nurture your being with Jesus. Uh, slowing down includes things that that, that circle is corresponding, your being and doing circles are, are balanced off, is that you're investing in your singleness or your marriage. Uh, you're taking time to study and learn. You're attending uh, you know, seminars. You're reading broadly, even, even reading books. Like I'm reading a book right now on trees. Um, about nature, it's just fabulous. But even outside of uh, uh, reading, you know, quantum physics and learning about astronomy and cosmology, and maybe it's hiking the nature, nature and the arts. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm nurturing my soul, and you're nurturing your soul, so that you're doing for Jesus flows out of being with Him. And so, let the Holy Spirit lead you, and again, out of your personality, your gifting, your calling, uh, so that your cup is full out of what you serve other people. That's a critical foundation of living an emotionally healthy spirituality. It's actually the most loving thing you can do for the people around you uh, is to take the time to invest in yourself. So I monitor each day. I mean, I'm monitoring my day to day, doing this podcast, recording this podcast. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing. Uh, 
that I, I monitor my data, make sure I'm not cramming, trying to cram too much in uh, into a day. Um, and I, and um, making sure I've got that in order. Uh, interesting, I look back now, I, I prayed for years uh, when I was lead pastor, for the 26 years I was lead pastor uh, at New Life. I, I would pray for a, a, a super executive pastor who could take all my dreams and visions and build this church into numbers. And and God always said no to that request uh, <laughs> because it would have been the worst thing for me. Because uh, the worst thing that can happen for many of us is our ministry grows in size and influence and power, or, or at least in reach, beyond our inner life. In other words, we're carrying more weight and responsibility and authority in the name of Jesus than actually our inner life with Jesus can sustain, our character can sustain. So God saying no to you and me can often be such a gift. So let me invite you on this journey uh, of emotionally healthy spirituality. And again, check out the the new video uh, and the new workbook based on the course, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, part one. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. So it's emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. It's free. And just download session one of the new workbook. That study on Saul is in there and the false self. And actually the symptoms of a, if you're living in a false self is in that first study and you'll see a free session video. Um, so let me pray for you as we close here. And my favorite prayer uh, that I pray often, I love praying the Psalms. It comes from Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. Wow. God bless everyone. Been great to be with you. Pray God's richest blessing on you. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.